Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to The Splash. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, and my guest is ESPN radio and television announcer Dan Schulman. No relation, although I like to tell folks he's my Canadian cousin. On Saturday night, Dan called the incredible ending to Game 4 of the World Series when the Tampa Bay Rays, down to their last strike, came back to beat the Dodgers 8-7 on that crazy once-in-a-lifetime play. Brett Phillips singled home the tying run, and Randy Arosarena scored the walk-off winner on errors by Dodgers center fielder Chris Taylor and catcher Will Smith. Dan's thrilling call would have been difficult to achieve even if he had been at Globe Light Field in Texas to see it in person, but he wasn't. We'll talk about that and much more with Dan, who has called baseball and college basketball on ESPN for a quarter century, as well as being the current voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, hello, Dan. Uh, talking to me from Bristol, Connecticut. How you doing? I'm doing well, Henry. How are you keeping? I'm doing. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing really fine. I just wanted to just check something. You're you're at the ESPN, or you're working out of the ESPN headquarters. They don't really have a lot of mascots running around and athletes in full uniform at desks taking no. up space, do they? That's no, no. Prior to this month, I have spent remarkably little time on campus, as they say it. Uh, in Connecticut. I have not seen any mascots, and I don't think mascots qualify as essential services during a pandemic. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah okay. I don't think they're here. All right. Well, I, I guess we should ask, uh, first of all, uh, well, I mean, let's go back to the fact you are uh, the uh, play-by-play announcer on TV for the Toronto Blue Jays, and they made it into the first round of the playoffs. So I take it you did the Blue Jays games uh, in, in that round. And were you there in person? Uh, no, I actually did not do the Blue Jays games in that round. So I oh, did, did Blue Jays games all season from a studio in Toronto. The Jays played their home games in Buffalo, but due to the border restrictions, if I crossed, I couldn't come back when they went on the road. So we did all 60 from Toronto. Um, but then I, I kind of got caught in a little uh, pickle, I guess. Um, the So the Blue Jays normally do not do their own broadcasts of playoff games. They normally pick up the U.S. feeds, but this year got permission for whatever reason. I think because uh, just with the technology was easier, you know, with everybody taking feeds from each other. So uh, they got permission to do the first round, but that came like in the last week of the season. And and um, I work for ESPN, as you know, and because of the pandemic, I didn't work for ESPN as much as I'm supposed to work for ESPN. So uh, I'm under contract every year to do the playoffs for ESPN radio. So when they added that wild card round, um, ESPN asked me to to come down. So I, I've been doing uh, playoffs for ESPN right from the first game of the playoffs. Well, have you been to a ball game to call one at all this season? The, the only two times I did in what we've all come to know as summer camp, the Blue Jays <laughs> were actually in Toronto for summer camp because they quarantined at Rogers Center, at their ballpark. There's a hotel right in the ballpark, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, So they did summer camp there, and believe it or not, the week before the season, we did two intra-squad games on national television. 
That's yeah. the kind of appetite there was for programming then, and that's the kind of fan base, the following that the Blue Jays have. So I did two five or six innings uh, uh, intra-squad games. It was Team Gritch against Team Bo, Randall Gritchick and Bo Bichette, and guys were changing teams between blue and white every inning just to make sure everybody was in the proper spot and got their work. Uh, and that's it. I have not been at a ballpark since July. Wow. Okay. Uh, that, well, that uh, inter-squad game, now the Giants had inter-squad games, and they didn't have names on the back of their uniforms, and I was sitting in the press box because I attended them. And in some cases, I couldn't tell who was doing what. Did right. they at least have names on the back of the union? They did have names and numbers. Uh, now, again, guys were switching teams, so a guy right. could hit for Team Gritch in the bottom of the third, and then be in the field for Team Bo in the top uh, in the bottom of the fourth, or a guy would be out on the field on defense and just not come off the field and stay on the field. So uh, it got a little confusing, but you know, it, like a spring training game, and maybe even a little bit less, you don't take it too seriously, right? Everybody was just so damn happy to see baseball on their television, exactly. be watching baseball. So seeing anybody hit off anybody pitching and anybody catching and throwing, <laughs> we were deliriously excited at the time, and and we I think we called the games in the spirit in which they were intended. And you, so you have been down in Bristol, Connecticut for, uh, throughout the rest of the playoffs doing round by round, correct? Yes. So the first round was a little, uh, was interesting. So there were eight series, as you well know, uh, right. ESPN radio, just because uh, it, they couldn't do all eight. It, it just wasn't feasible. Not enough people, not enough studio space here. You know, you think about the constraints required to actually find a studio for everybody to do it. So, um, they broadcast four series in the first round. And because of the time zones and different, you know, start times, I actually doubled up. I did, I did two different series in the first round, and then I've been on the American League side the rest of the way. I've been with, I've actually been with Tampa Bay from their very first game. As luck or fate would have it, you know, you mentioned the Blue Jays. I did the Ray, I did do the Rays and Jays, but I didn't do it on TV in Canada. I did it on radio for ESPN. Oh, okay. Well, you know, once we have teleportation, you'll be doing that double duty all the time. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm working so now, on that. I, I think cloning might be easier than teleportation, cloning. but I'm working okay. on both. The last thing the world needs is more Shulman. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> well, now, you know, get to the World Series. First of all, this is a great World Series. And uh, people listening, I should let you all know, we're recording this on the off day before game six. So we're not going to talk about in past tense about the Dodgers winning their first title in 32 years. Um, but it's been it's been a really exciting series. And and really, I mean, going into the ninth inning, it was such a crazy game in general, game four, with all the back and forth. Um, and, you know, I mean, even without the bottom of the ninth, it was a, it was a great game. Uh, before I ask you specifically about that, um, you know, what are some of the in your memory, some of the great th games, finishes that you've covered, do any come to mind? Well, one that I covered, kind of covered, way, way, way back when. This was before I was doing play-by-play. -play. I was the pre- and post-game host for the Blue Jays on their radio network in 1992 and 1993. I mean, how lucky does a guy get? The two years that I right. stumbled onto the scene, they win the World Series. And I was in Philadelphia for, game, for the games in Philadelphia between the Blue Jays and the Phillies. In game four was a 15 to 14 game. The just oh, the I remember that. Yeah. Game, right. And so I was sitting there at the vet getting rained on the Jays were down 14 to nine, I believe. And I think scored six runs in the eighth inning. Ricky Henderson was in on it. Devon white was in on it. So that was really something I will tell you my all time favorite game that I've covered. Um, this is, this is my 10th world series. So my first was 2011 St. Louis and Texas. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and for, you know, casual baseball fans, I don't know how, you know, if you say St. Louis and Texas, I don't know if that rings a bell for people, but game six was the David freeze. Oh game, yeah. Right. So the David freeze game, yeah, the right. David the, freeze I, game. I believe the Rangers, the Rangers twice were within one strike of winning Correct. the world series. Correct. There yeah. have been three times in baseball history when a team has been a strike away from winning the world series and has not won the world series. And two of the three were in that game. So, like, how do you top that? Um, that was the game. Freeze triples in the ninth, maybe a foot over the glove of Nelson Cruz. They tie it. Josh Hamilton homers in the 10th. Texas takes the lead. Lance Berkman, they're down to their final strike again in the bottom of the 10th. Lance Berkman singles, ties it up. Um, and then Freeze homers in the bottom of the 11th to win it. Um, yeah, and then the next day the Cardinals uh, beat the Rangers to in Game Seven. Right. Um, so let's let's fast forward now. Uh, we're, we got the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. A lot of interest in this World Series here because the Dodgers are in it. You have an entire half of a state here who are who have just become Rays fans all of a sudden. <laughs> right. Now that the Dodgers are up in the series two games to one, and they have a six to five lead uh, going into. I'm sorry, a, a seven to six lead going into the. Bottom of the ninth, Kenley Jansen is on the mound, which heartened some Giants fans because uh, he has struggled in the postseason. Uh, but he he gives up a a, a flare hit, uh, a broken bat hit to Kiermaier. Um, with two outs, he kind of pitches around. I think he did anyway. I don't know what your your feeling on it was, that he pitched around uh, Randy Arozarena, who's been the, the toughest hitter uh, in, in baseball in the postseason yep. for any team. Yep. So it ends up being runners on uh, first and second with two outs. And now up comes Brett Phillips. He's a 196 hitter uh, in the regular season. He's had two at-bats in the postseason. That's all he's had. He he had entered the game as a pinch runner for a really good hitter, G-Man Choi. And as now his, the, the really the, the fate perhaps of the World Series rested on Brett Phillips because, you know, if the Dodgers go up 3-1, it, it, it's pretty much all but – over. Uh, then the craziness happened, um, and here was Dan Schulman's call. It's a swing and a ball lined in the right center, a base hit. Kiermaier around third. It's booted by Taylor. A Rosarena coming home, and now he's caught. And now Smith drops the ball, and a Rosarena scores. Smith had the ball at the plate. They had a Rosarena caught. Before I ask you anything, I have to tell you, I thought it was an amazing call. I did not know at the time you were not at the park. How tough would that call have been, even if you were sitting in Globe Life Field? It, it would have been easier, uh, and I'll take you as deep uh, into the you know down into the broadcasting weeds as you want to go. So um, let me try to give you a snapshot of what we have in Bristol, which is typical for broadcasters this year who are not on site. We have a program monitor, and in simplest terms, that's what you see at home on television. We also have what's called an all nine, and that's like a camera high above home plate where we can see the whole field. We can see if the shift is on, the infield is in, um, a runner is stealing, that sort of thing. So 90-something percent of the time, I'm looking at the program monitor. I want to see what Fox is showing or what fans at home are seeing. Um, The difficulty was uh, not being there. Uh, You know, normally when I do a game, Henry, from the field, I watch the monitor until the balls hit. I like to see the movement of the pitches, the location of the pitches. And then when the balls hit, I look at the field. I look out the booth at the field. And you just naturally can see more when you're looking out a booth at a field than when you're looking on a two-dimensional monitor and just seeing whatever camera, the television network of choice, 
happens to be showing. So there were certain things I didn't see. And, and if, I don't know if you've watched the replay. Um, and, and I thank you for saying you like the call. I don't love it, actually. I beat myself up a little bit over it. Um, I was almost out of breath. And, and some people said that's what made it so good. It was chaos and it was madness. And we've never heard you sound crazy before. And, and I said, I think that's a compliment. So, But um, I felt like I was chasing the play and I couldn't catch up. Um, but we never saw a Rosarena fall down. That's not on the camera. If you go right. back and watch it, a Rosarena does not appear in your screen until he gets back up and is kind of caught between third and home. And you hear me say, I think twice, and he's caught, he's caught. Um, you know, if I could do it over, it would be Kiermaier rounding third. He scores, throw in towards the plate, a Rosarena coming home. Now they've got him hung up. Uh, but of course, now I'm much more measured about it than I am in the moment. Um, it was one of those plays where, uh, you know, when all hell breaks loose and you've got nothing else to cling to, you just go into say what you see mode, just say what you see and just try to help people. And again, you know, not being at the ballpark is one thing and being on radio versus TV is another thing. And I do both, as you know. And when you're on TV, the camera does a lot of the work for you. When you're on radio, you're painting the picture. You've got to do everything. And I think that's why I kind of got going, you know, a little bit fast. So um, I would do some things differently if I could do it again. But I'm grateful at the very end, at least I said, a Rosarena slides in safely in the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, uh, here in Northern California, I realize it's different because you're not the home broadcaster. You're doing a national broadcast. But I think one of the most endearing moments in local broadcasting here is when uh, Dave Fleming uh, on radio called the Edgar Renteria homer in game five of the World Series in the same city in, in, uh, in Arlington there, right next door. Uh, and his voice cracked when right. he said, it's gone. Right. And, uh, I think that that's probably something that he went back and listened to. Uh, and at the time he probably didn't think it was all that endearing, but, but I don't think the fans here would have it any other way. Yeah. And, uh, it, at the end, it almost didn't, it almost didn't sound like you because you, you usually, are so measured and and you were screaming, but I think it was good because I think it captured one of those the craziest moments uh, ever in a World Series game to end a game. But do you think that even though you say you like it now, maybe five years from now, ten years from now, you might listen to it again and go, hey, that, was, "That was pretty good." Uh, I, I don't know. Like uh, like I'll tell you, the David Freeze call, um, the home run that wins wins the game in the eleventh. I'm very grateful and very fond of that call. Uh, I don't know if I'm never going to like this one as much as I like that one. But to be honest with you, this one was 10 times harder. That was a very little doubt about it. Home right. run. I'm in the ballpark and it's the home team hitting a home run. And whenever something happens good for the home team, your job is so much easier because there's so much atmosphere and noise on the call. And, and that just makes everything sound better, makes everything sound exciting. So, you know, this time there isn't really atmosphere and I'm not at the ballpark and it's not a home run. It's, it's a, you know, a dumpster fire and a train wreck all rolled into one, right? You know, balls being kicked around, guys are falling down. So, um, I'm okay with it. Like, I don't hate it, but I don't know if, if I'm ever going to love it. But it, it's funny. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I sat there and I listened to it a few times the next morning, which I never do. 
But I did, I did it to try to learn from it. And I said to myself, okay, if this happens again, what would you do differently? And of course, this is never going to happen again. Like, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if, if there's a God, um, but, uh, I did learn from it and, and, um, you know, I talked about the two monitors, the program monitor and the all nine. And I didn't look at the all nine in the moment. And, and again, not to get too deep into the weeds, but the all nine is delayed like a quarter of a second from the program monitor. And I'm always afraid if I look at the all nine, by the time I look back to program, I'll have missed something and I won't and I won't know what it is. If you if you know what I'm saying. So I, yeah, I never in this took, case. It, yeah. Yeah. I never took my eyes off the program. And really, the all nine gives me a better view, but it's a smaller monitor and it's not quite, I'm going to say this wrong. It, to my eyes, it's not quite as HD-ish. It's not, you're pulling right. it out of the feed that's coming from Arlington. You're separating it from the other monitors. I don't understand the technology of it, but it's not quite as crystal clear as program. And in the heat of the moment, I, I, I just didn't think of it. I just stayed on on on, program, on the program monitor. So, um, but listen, the, the, like I'm grateful to be doing games and it was a one, it was an unbelievably exciting game. Um, you know, when I had the guy's name, right. I had the right team. So I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. okay with that. <laughs> yeah. By the, yeah, by the way, in, in 1993, you weren't the one who yelled, uh, go crazy, go crazy. No, that, You'll never have another big, <laughs> that was not you. Okay. Uh, I have more to ask you about the uh, world series and covering baseball in a pandemic. And we'll get to that with Dan Schulman right after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Henry Shulman here with Dan Shulman. Uh, if you missed the intro, we're not related, uh, but I do like him a lot. Uh, and uh, you, <laughs> you know, like me more uh, than some of your family members, I think. I, I do like you yeah. more than some Shulmans. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, so I guess a question that comes up is, why couldn't you have gone to uh, the World Series? It's one ballpark. You're in a hotel right now, I think, as we're talking. Uh, you could be in a hotel there. We had Kruk and Kuyper, Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper. They were at the ballpark for home games. Why couldn't you be here or there? Um, I, I don't know. That was a decision made by ESPN management about a month ago, I think. And, and it's, you know, it's not my call. And I, I think they were just prioritizing safety and they thought, maybe given what they knew about what what was going on a month ago, that it was a more controllable environment at ESPN. You know, obviously, I wish we were there, um, but I understand that we're not. I believe the Rays radio guys are there and the Dodgers radio guys are not. Uh, Fox is there, MLB International, Matt Vasquez and Buck Martinez, they are not. So, you know, each entity made its own decision. It was not my call to make. It was made by management, and um, I was... Uh, told before the playoffs started that after some internal discussion, we would be in Bristol the entire time. So, um, you know, I think it falls under the category, but it is, it is what it is, right? It's a pandemic and I'm just grateful that there is baseball and I'm grateful to be working and, and you make the best of the situation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just talking about a crazy situation, the whole thing with the Blue Jays, uh, you, you were the TV voice of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. The whole thing was crazy. I mean, the Canadian government is really uh, being very strict about Americans coming in. I, I know I you know, tried to move there seven times in the last uh, couple of years. 
I'm kidding. I don't don't send me your postcards, <laughs> and I'll explain what a postcard is later. There you go. But uh, you know, it, it it it's really strict. I mean, what were your expectations as we go as you went into the final week or two before uh, the regular season actually started about what you would be doing? Well, someone from uh, our provincial government, so a province is like a state. Someone from our provincial government, I think I believe is our premier actually, who's like the governor, um, or someone from the premier's office at the very least said. You know, we've had discussions and the city has signed off on it and the province has signed off on it. And we expect the federal government to sign off on it. And that was just like a week before the season. And we said, oh, I guess they're going to be allowed to play in Toronto. And then the next day, the um, uh, the uh, the federal government came out and said no. And they said it's just uh, the, the risks are too high. At that point, cases in Canada were extremely low. They have gone up, unfortunately, since then, yeah. with, you know, like everywhere, schools reopening and, and so forth. Um, but it, it it was disappointing, but it's it's really hard for me to argue it. I, I mean, I'm a passionate baseball guy, and I'm also a very proud Canadian, so I get it. Um, you know, and then it was, well, they might play in Dunedin, which I never thought was going to happen. They might play in Pittsburgh, which sounded like it could happen, but then the uh, Department of Health for Pennsylvania, and again, I can't blame them, uh, thought there were just too many issues, and Baltimore came up very briefly, and then they settled on Buffalo, which was, which is their AAA facility, and was always the path of least resistance. It just wasn't the the desired choice, and, and I give the Blue Jays a lot of credit, and I know some people say, oh, they make a lot of money, and they charter on planes and all that, and, and yes, but this was a very difficult situation. They were under more restrictions than anybody else. Many of them didn't see their families uh, for the entirety of the season. Uh, and basically, when they were in Buffalo, they didn't go out. Um, the state of New York was pretty strict and I think kind of considered the Blue Jays as visitors, not as residents. So um, from what I understand, they were in the hotel and at the ballpark, and that's about it. And, and you know what? They were a young team, and they had a lot of injuries. And they had a 23-day road trip at the beginning of the season because the decision was made so late. Their first homestand, the ballpark wasn't ready yet. They were trying to get it right. up to Major League Standards. So they played exhibition games in Boston, and then they went down and started the season in Tampa and Atlanta. And then they were supposed to be at home for a week, but the ballpark wasn't ready. So they played Washington and Philly in Washington and Philly. And then they had another week road trip, and then they finally went to Buffalo. And I give them credit for going 32 and 28 and making the playoffs because um, I, I think, you know, they could have kind of gotten weighed down by the uncertainty uh, of the whole situation and they could have complained. And, and a couple of them did a little bit at the beginning, um, but uh, they understood quickly if you if you are not Canadian and you come into Canada and you're new to Canada and you complain about something like that. Uh, you're going to lose in the court of public opinion. And after that, they were all really good. And they, you know what, they stayed strong, they stayed together, and they had a pretty good season. Yeah, you know, my, my nephew uh, is a student. He's a so starting a sophomore year at the University of British Columbia, and he came home during the pandemic. And uh, it would take me 10 minutes to describe to you what he had to do to get back into British Columbia uh, to, you know, to resume his studies yeah, this year. Uh, sure. Very strict, and because they had very few cases there in BC, I, I hope that... Uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, here in the United States, it's blowing up as bad as it's been since July. I hope Canada uh, is able to to settle it down. And, you know, speaking of cases, I mean, there were there were some at the beginning of this season that affected the Marlins and the Cardinals, uh, uh, the you know, teams that weren't 
testing positive were affected by the, their opponents mm-hmm. testing positive. And I, I don't think a lot of people thought we would be at the point where we are now, where we're about to go to game six of the World Series on the uh, 27th of October, it will be. Uh, what was your level of confidence that they were going to get a whole season in? Not Well, when the Marlins outbreak hit, not great. So the Marlins outbreak happened in Philadelphia, right, if I'm not mistaken. Right, uh-huh. And then it, it kind of hit the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays were the next team going into Philly, and their series got canceled. So the Marlins are in a hotel, the Phillies have gone to their homes, and the Blue Jays are in limbo. Um, and at that point I was like, you know, the domino effect was, was pretty significant. And at that point I thought we were one other major outbreak away from the season, not, not being able to be completed. And fortunately, I think the Marlins thing kind of got settled before the Cardinals thing hit because the Cardinal one was bad too. They didn't play for like two weeks or something. Yeah, it was wor- it ended up being worse. Yeah, it ended up being lo- yeah. Yeah, a longer term thing. I think, you, yeah. you know, and their schedule was just preposterous over the last five, six weeks of the season. So at those two points, I was really worried. I, I always thought if another one happened before this one got resolved, that maybe they would just say it's it's too much. So I, I give the players a lot of credit, Henry. I, I really do. You know, it's you're a 25 year old guy and you're on the road and you want to go have a beer. You want to go out. And, and obviously most of them didn't do that, uh, or we'd have had positive tests. And, and, uh, you know, the Clevenger police act thing with the Indians was interesting too, because of how Cleveland treated that and kind of the backlash against the players. And I, I think, especially after the Cardinals outbreak that everybody else took it seriously. I was worried when we got into September that teams who were clearly out of the race would just say, whatever, I, I don't really care anymore. And we'd have issues there because they just start going out. But yeah, I, I think the players deserve a lot of credit yeah. for acting as responsibly as they did. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I mean, the Cardinals ended up finishing with 58 games. Uh, there was a chance that uh, they would have had to go to Detroit right. for two games even even after. And I really wonder how much Detroit was going to enjoy that. Yeah, exactly. um, all right. Well, we're, we started with the World Series. We'll come back to the to the World Series. Um you know, it, it's been so long for the Dodgers. They've had so many failures. Of course, one of their failures in the World Series recently, I mean, was part of the cheating scandal. They very well could have won that World Series. But, you know, 32 years without a championship, and they need to win one of the next two nights. Uh, and they they have uh, you know, they have Gonsolin going tomorrow against Snell, who's um, Tampa Bay's, uh, I think, Tampa Bay's best guy. And then they have that Bueller firewall in Game 7. Do you think there's really any way Tampa Bay can win this World Series? Yeah, I would never count them out. Um, Maybe partially because I'm a Blue Jay broadcaster, I see a lot of the Rays. And as I mentioned earlier, I've done every playoff game of theirs. So um, Game 6 will be my 27th Tampa Bay Rays game of the 2020 season. So um, I'd like to say they have a chance if only because if they win it, I'd like to think I get a ring because I feel like I'm, I've been (laughs) along for the ride the whole time, but I I would never count them out. You know, uh, like as crazy as the ninth inning of game four was, I've seen them do crazy stuff to the blue Jays and and the Yankees um, over the years. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. It's not going to be easy. Um, You know, the pathway for them to win game six is Snell is really good. And then Kevin Cash uses his high leverage guys to get to the finish line because it's not like Snell's going seven. It just, it doesn't work that way. Right. If they get five really good innings out of them, five and a third. So he's going to need his high leverage guys. And then he's going to need them again in game seven. Now, you know, Charlie Morton wasn't good in game three, but as you know, Charlie Morton's got a really good resume of pitching. Right. Right. Games. Right. So. Right. uh, Elimination games. Yeah. 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 Winner take all finishing games, elimination games, whatever. So, but Walker Bueller's a dude right now. And, and, 
you know, May looks right now. Uh, Gratterall looks good. Urias is in play. Um, they've got a lot of guys. It's it's going to be tough. It's really going to be tough for Tampa Bay. And even if they lose game six, 20 to nothing, they've had a magnificent season. Uh, the Dodgers have a significant edge, but I, I, I would never count the Rays out. Um, uh, they're they're you, you you can't you, you just can't finish them off very easily they have an unbelievable resiliency about them. well that's uh that's that's a great analysis and uh you know of course i think most of the people are going to listen to this before game six for those who listen to it after the world series is over we'll go back and overdub your voice Thank with you. uh you know with everything in past tense <laughs> um so you work with chris singleton right uh, yes, and on the World Series, Jessica Mendoza is with us as well. Okay. I just want you to ask Chris if he remembers me. I don't know if he would or not. It was, it's been 25 years, I think, since he was since he was a Giants uh, prospect. But, you know, maybe, maybe he does. Maybe I did wrote something to tick him off. I yeah, don't know. Maybe. But well, just he's say, an East Bay guy, too. He might have grown that's up. Right, that's right. So that, That's right. Yeah. Well, just say hello to him for me. I will. And um, I want to thank you again for joining the Giants Splash podcast, and I wish you the best of luck. Uh, and, you know, enjoy your family again when you get back home to Toronto. All right, Henry. Thanks. Take care. Good catch. Good catching up with you as always. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Giant Splash. Look for more podcasts as this offseason unfolds. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support The Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.